0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just Josh here with you guys once again today, as I as I have another guest with you. We brought this guy on back over the summer. He is former Tar Heel. Michael Norwood and one one of the things I'm wanting to bring to you guys this season is a player perspective interview and, and Michael has agreed to to do some of this type of stuff with us uh, during this basketball season and this is a guy that is that that was on some big time teams at Carolina. He knows kind of firsthand what this team is going through, and so I thought uh, he'd be a great person to come on and talk about this team, this team dealing with the hype, dealing with the expectations, and some of the schematical changes. Hubert Davis is already going to try and may may need to consider trying to try to get this team back on track. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with former Tar Heel player, Michael Norwood. I am now joined by former Tar Heel player, but Tar Heel for life, Michael Norwood. Michael, good morning, man. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on.
0: I appreciate you uh, making some time out of your busy schedule to come on and talk some heels with me. And we're going to focus on this, the basketball side of things. But we were talking in the in, in – in Right before we started recording, and you told me you were at the national title game for the women's soccer program on Monday night. You were at the ACC title game against Clemson. I was, as well, pretty much since Thanksgiving. It hasn't been a whole lot of fun for Tar Heel athletics. And there's been this running joke on Twitter that since we ended Coach K's career, this is the price we have to pay. Do you believe or, or do you buy into that theory, or do you think at some point we'll see the Carolina Athletic Department winning at the rate we're used to seeing the Tar Heels win
1: at? Well, you know, I'm I'm not kind of one of those superstitious people and all that. Um, if that is the case, it was worth it to win at Cameron and to win in New Orleans. So, if it is true, I'll take the trade. Uh, I mean, we did win a field hockey title. What two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. So it's not. It's not like we're you know we're NC State or something like that. <laughs> but uh, but um, yes, uh, and and. I I was in New Orleans. I mean, that was so much fun. But to answer your question, I don't believe in that stuff. But if it's true, it was worth it. it.
0: I'm I'm right there with you. If we got to suffer for a year or two before we get back to winning, as opposed to the 30, 40 years NC State fans have suffered,
1: I'm pretty sure we (laughs) – I grew up a state fan. Whoa. David Thompson was my favorite player growing up. The 74 team, I would have been – I was nine years old. So it was David Thompson and Tim Stoddard and – Tommy Burleson and Mo Rivers and and Monty Tal, Norm Sloan coaching. So I, when I grew up, those were the heroes. You know, David Thompson was my favorite player ever growing up.
0: Okay, so l- let me piggyback on that just really quick because I get into arguments all the time that I believe that Tyler Hansborough is the greatest ACC basketball player to ever play in the ACC. You look at everything he accomplished, it's really hard to argue but some of the guys that grew up back in the the heyday of the mm-hmm. ACC will tell me that David Thompson is the greatest ACC basketball yes. player of all time. He was your hero growing up. Do you do do you also agree with that sentiment?
1: Yes, I think. Uh, I mean, if you look back, he was at, he averaged one year like I don't know, twenty five or twenty six. No three point line. Uh, it just he, he was unbelievable I think and he only played three years uh, that was the one thing and one year they went undefeated and then the next year they lost the one game to UCLA early in the year and then they beat them later on so I think hands down David Thompson is the greatest ACC player of all time I could also make an argument I mean didn't Ralph Sampson win like ACC player of the year like three times or something like that maybe.
0: And he was also Um, the national player of the year three times.
1: Right. And so when people talk about so a lot of the talk we were talking about different sports when we got on the thing, and you know, I, I, I love Coach Shelton that just retired from field hockey. But like Erin Matson, who I've gotten to know on campus, she's a phenomenal girl. If you ever try to find a spectacular speaker, you need to get her on your show because she is amazing. But so you go, Erin Matson's, you know, on the Mount Rushmore, Mia Hams on the Mount Rushmore, and then people go, well, basketball it's Jordan or Hansborough, you got to differentiate. Are you talking about college only? Hansborough is probably the greatest Carolina player of all time if you're talking college only. But if you're talking about basketball, then it's obviously Jordan. Right. And Lars Taylor is probably the football guy on there, or Choo Choo Justice. But you sometimes have to differentiate actually in college careers or, you know, basketball. So when you're having that Carolina argument, greatest – Tar Heel basketball player of all, hands hands down, had the greatest career of everybody, but Jordan's
0: is obviously the greatest. Right. All right. Well, th- that was that was a lot of fun. But let's let's talk about what hasn't been a whole lot of fun, and that is <laughs> that's been this current Tar Heel team on the court. They come in, they enter this weekend's game against Georgia Tech. They're just five and four on a current four game losing streak. The, sure. the the most consecutive losses since they lost seven straight back during that disastrous 2019 2020 season. Is right. it is is it fair to say after four straight losses and falling out of the top twenty five rankings that it's it's okay to press the panic button on this season for Carolina?
1: So definitely not time to press the panic button. When I saw the schedule, I thought before, when we were undefeated, ranked number one, I said I thought we would have three losses before January one. I thought we would lose once or twice out in Portland. I kind of thought that. I figured we'd lose Indiana because we're playing kind of short rest at Indiana and then one other. So the four losses, I mean, we should have beat Alabama. If you win the Alabama game, are you panicking as much? Probably not. But I I figured we'd have... You know, two to four losses before January one. Now, now we've got four. We need to run run the table between now and then. Um, and, and I get it. I mean, I watched all the games, and we brought back four starters and a, a key sub. And why aren't we better? I, 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 you know, there's probably a bunch of reasons we're not shooting as well. There's more tape on us about how we're playing, and teams are, are are probably guarding our guards a little bit differently. Uh, I think we'll be okay. I mean, obviously, nobody's having fun right now, and we're probably not going to look very good on Saturday because it's exam week, and I remember how poorly we always played coming out of exam week because you never had full practices. You'd come in and do individual workouts when you were – when you weren't having exams so it's not going to surprise me if they don't look that good on Saturday either to be honest
0: yeah I'm I'm right there with you I, I think right now the biggest thing is just trying to get first off get healthy and then you know Hubert Davis that's has, a big part of yeah, Huber, yeah, and Hubert Davis has lamented they just need time on the court to fix the issues. We talked to, over the summer, and, and I asked you if it was if it was fair to label this season national title or bust, and that's the that was the expectation coming in with the team that was preseason ranked number 1 they were the media's pick to win the ACC and a lot of people's preseason pick to win the national championship and it, it appears that the expectations have gotten to them you were also on a team that entered the 1986 1987 team as the preseason number 1 how, how do you remember preparing for going out on a night in night out basis knowing that every opponent you were going to play, was going to give you your best shot, and do you think this team is struggling to to meet that standard of play that they're getting every time they walk on the court?
1: So, a couple things there. Um, I think national championship or bust is always hard because there's luck involved. I would say this year will be disappointing if we don't make it to the Final Four. I I think that's always been my – You know, if you make it to the Final Four – anybody can win it you get lucky whatever if you lose before the final four it, it, it is going to be a disappointing year as for when we were ranked number one we were loaded we were not ranked number one my junior with brad Dardy and all them at certain points um as a player i mean maybe I, I looked at it differently i never we never thought about rank this rank that other teams you know gonna play hard we felt like we're north carolina Every single team is going to play as hard as they can against North Carolina. It doesn't matter if you're 20 and 0 or or 10 and 10, they want to beat Carolina. And, and coach Smith, he you know, he measured us versus us. It didn't matter the result, didn't matter who we were playing, did we play hard? Did we focus? Did we play together? Yeah, you know, that's how he measured everything. It wasn't we won or lost or whatever. So I didn't feel like we ever talked about or cared that we were ranked one or preseason this, or we put more pressure on ourselves than any fan will ever put on us. And the media will ever put on us. And you go to opposing gyms and they're cheering like crazy, but they ain't on the court. So that was the one thing coach smith and i think that's why we always or his teams always did so well at the end of games it, it, you were prepared and you were calm and you understood what you had to do and you knew that none of this outside stuff mattered if you take care of yourself that will take care of everything so um i, I i'm not a believer in expectations now some of the individuals may have individual expectations where I want to score more. I want to get more shots. That's a different thing than a collective team going, Oh, we're number one. We need to play better. I I just, I don't, I don't buy that as a former player, but I could be wrong.
0: You mentioned that, you know, right now Carolina isn't shooting the ball very well, and that's that's very evident when you look at the stats of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. They're both averaging over 15 points per game, but they're both shooting – 40% 40% from the field overall yep. and, and, and in the mid-20s from behind the three-point line. Hubert Davis said the biggest reason why they're struggling on offense is the ways that they're being defended and in and, and pick-and-roll situations where teams are now blitzing and trapping yep. them whenever they're, they're trying to initiate their offense. As a as as a guy who played the game and and you were a part of this, what adjustments can Huber Davis make, when knowing that those those traps are going to come to free his guards up and get him the shots that that, that he wants those guys to take?
1: Um, obviously, our coaching staff sees a lot more than I do, and I coached a bunch through the years. My son traveled ball and things like that. The one thing I would say about our offense right now is. I feel like we do a lot of kind of dribble handoffs and and shuffling where we're eating up a little bit too much of the shot clock, in my opinion, and then it gets down to 10 seconds, and we're saying, hey, Caleb, hey, RJ, get us a shot against a set defense. So if I was a coach, and, again, they know a whole lot more than I do, I would try to get earlier offense, where we can get more screens and more shots earlier where we're not taking so many at the end of shot clocks where, I mean, Caleb's shooting poorly. He's having to take, you know, how many, you know, contested shots with five seconds on the shot clock, but he's got to shoot it and get it up on the glass. So I would try to get earlier shots. I would try to, if I was trying to get Caleb points, I wouldn't, Try to get in the ball at the top of the key. I'd rather see us run screens and do things like that. Next thing he does, he pops out on the wing or pops out off, off top of the key after multiple screens, and the defense has been moved and switched and then attacked. So again, I keep saying, I, I, I'm you know they see a lot more than I do. They're a lot smarter, a lot more experienced. But if it was me, I'd try to get earlier offense and I'd try to get more off the ball screens, less on the ball screens you made a great great point is they're just blitzing the guards and they're doubling them, and then if we throw it to Baycott he's 25 feet from the basket here's nothing he can do with the ball and so we end up resetting and now the shot clock's over so I'd rather see more away from the ball screens to get action going to get Baycott down low or to get Somebody, you know, RJ coming off for a jumper or Caleb coming off to attack one-on-one, but what do I know? I'm just a, an observer from the stands. <laughs> uh,
0: one of the big questions about this team entering this season was, how are they going to replace Brady Manick? and. They ended up doing that, bringing in Northwestern transfer sure. Pete Nance. And, you know something that I've really tried to stress to Tar Heel fans is, you know, I've had basketball people tell me he's the best player on the team, but he also wasn't Carolina's first choice in the portal. They went after Matthew Mayer, and I don't know if you saw him, yeah. saw him at Illinois or for, for Illinois yeah, the other he had night. The game earlier this week. You know he he was doing some sensational things. You got uh, Terrence Shannon, Kevin O'Banner, guys that are, are playing for Kansas that are doing some big time things yep. and so with that Pete Nance has, has struggled his numbers aren't you know they're, they're not as bad as we probably make them out to be he's averaging 12 and 6 and something I've also tried to remember is that you know Brady Manic also wasn't a starter this time last year for Carolina yep. he wasn't the player he was in March this time but it's obvious to see that Pete Nance is struggling how how can Hubert Davis help him get more comfortable and utilize him and, and get the most out of his strengths? Because I feel like he's going to be best used as a five in a small ball lineup, and you're initiating him in ball screen action where you could use his passing ability. Do you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. He, I think he is a really good passer, and he sees the game. He knows what he's doing. He knows where people are going to be. I think that's where, you, you know, you can't compare them to Brady. They're very different. He's better on defense, better passer, better rebounder. Brady is a better scorer, move without the ball. They're very, very different players. Uh, Nance, sometimes we've, we've thrown the ball into him in the post, kind of just ISO on the block, and I don't know that that's his strength. I thought we'd look best where he's gone high, low, with Baycott a couple times, and then like you said, Kind of playing with the second team, a small ball five, where he's got a little bit more responsibility. And sometimes players, when they have more responsibility, they just play better because they they kind of know this is on me. And then if they're the third or fourth option, they almost defer too much. and And I think Nance was doing that early in the year. He was deferring to the older guys. The more not the older in age, but older at Carolina, he was maybe deferring too much uh, and, and sacrificing his own game. And when you put him with the second team small ball lineup, he's got more responsibility, so he's playing a little bit better.
0: Carolina's played nine games so far, and they've been out rebounded in five of them. And you it's know, just shocking. And, and I, I think that's you know that's something that whenever I preview games, rebounding like it's a running joke that it's a key to the game, but now, Roy Williams always believed it was the yeah. most important part of the game because if you rebound the ball, that means you have the ball. Am, am, am I wrong in saying that I know you can teach technique and, and, and there are certain ways to you know, become a great rebounder? Armando Baycott has improved. Yeah. But, but isn't it a lot like defense where a lot of it is just an effort thing where you just have to want the ball more than the other guy? Because I feel like there have been just a lot of times where if Carolina would have – you know, just, just, you know, ran a little bit harder or dove on the loose ball. They they get that. Am, am I wrong in saying that rebounding, like defense, is just as much an effort thing as it is a technique thing?
1: It is. I would also throw in there, it's a scheme thing, too. So you, you talked about Coach Williams. The reason we killed it on offensive rebounding is we had two bigs that never left the blocks. Mm-hmm. So there's pluses and minuses. Everybody complained about Coach Williams' offense being stagnant or or crowded because there were no driving lanes because our bigs were two bigs were down there but we killed everybody on offensive rebounding and i've never had this discussion with coach williams but but i kind of believe that he thought if if i can rebound misses at a high level we will score more and if you get to if you ever go to a final four game you play in these big domes, it is the worst shooting environment you will ever play. Like, over at Cameron's, the best, because it's a high school gym. But you go in these domes, and nobody shoots well. Well, if I'm a really good offensive rebounding team, I'm going to win, because I'm going to get my misses and score from up things. So I think that's why Coach Williams' scheme led to more rebounding, where Hubert's, if you take... Baycott run a high ball screen thirty feet from the basket, he has zero chance of getting that offensive rebound. And if we're gonna play smaller lineups, four out, one end things like that, on the defensive end, again, we're gonna have less big guys hanging around the basket rebounding. Now, in theory, if you play smaller, you should shut down the three point shooting better. And we have not done a good job of that, because that was Again, talking about schemes, Coach Williams' teams weren't that great at at combating three-point shooting because we had bigs and they were having trouble on switches and getting out on the court. Uh, And Coach believed most people aren't going to shoot that well. So it's it's, like you said, effort's a big part of it, knowing how to block out, but then also just I want to go get the ball is probably more important than anything. You mentioned
0: Carolina's three-point defense, and the thing about it is that it really got exposed in Portland. When they went to the Field Knight Invitational, they were holding teams to 29% shooting from behind the three-point line. That's as good a number as I can remember Carolina in quite sure. some time because that is something that under Coach Williams and now under uh, Coach uh, Huber Davis has been something that they have struggled in. Do you – I believe in this philosophy of that with the way shooting is today, where shooting is as, as good as it's ever been in the game, you can't, you can't go under screens. You have to fight over them. What, what, do you, what do you think about the way Carolina needs to defend ball screen actions out on the perimeter? Because I feel like when, when you go under, you're just giving those guys an extra three to four feet, and, and with the way sure. shooters are today, that's just too much room
1: well i think if you watch those three point shots they came more from from rotations than they were actual ball screens it seemed like and i'm not a big fan of walton but i thought he did a pretty good job of pointing (laughs) out some things and i think billis did at the indiana game where we were doubling on their bigs from the strong side and that 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 just left st- – the easiest shot in the world for three-pointers, you throw it inside, the guy throws it back out to you, you're stepping into the shot. That is hands down the easiest shot. And they kept – I don't remember if it was Billis or Walton or Walter, somebody kept talking about We kept doubling from the, the – the passer, the, the passer from the wing would throw it in and our guy would double down and then it was an easy kick out. Yeah. And that was more – I had a – bigger issue with that philosophy that the double should come from somewhere else make them make two three passes they were only making one pass into the easiest three-point shot there is yeah Uh, i i
0: I, I, I feel like it was that indiana game because dan shulman asked him okay how do you combat that do you rotate
1: that was that was i remember it was one of those games and you don't double from the strong side you double from the weak side and then my son played travel ball with sack house and i coached with for a year so i learned from stack because he's such an nba guy how those rotations work in the nba because in the nba you have basically five guys that can make a three-pointer so you have to account for every rotation and i don't see that and i don't see it much in any of the college teams i watch to play but But, yeah, we were struggling. Billis kept talking about it, and I agree. We we were doubling from up top where it it should come from the weak side and then rotate, stuff like that. Getting back to your original point, a lot of the good defensive teams just switch everything. Mm. And that's how instead of going over or under, Coach Williams used to believe going over the top of it. He didn't believe in ever going under, and he didn't like to switch. He believed you fought over the top. Uh, we've we've done both with with Coach Davis. Uh, if you look at the really the best defensive teams, they just switch everything. But you've got to have somebody a, a big that can stay with a little. So you you know if you're going to switch everything, Baycott's got to be able to stay in front of a point guard, and he he just doesn't have that kind of foot speed.
0: We're talking with former Tar Heel player, but lifelong, or or, or Tar Heel for life, Michael Norwood. And Michael, another thing that... You know, Hubert Davis has really tried to to do this season because it was his theme all off season long. Has been a lack of depth, and, and you know sure. he, he often says in the media that the players dictate the rotation. That they, sure. it's not something that he dictates. And I feel like that was something that he really got from his time playing under you know Coach Dean Smith, that he allowed the players to dictate to do to determine who played in the games, and, and so. Why do you think there has been this struggle in his now year, year and a half as the head coach to field a team that is a typical Carolina team where you're seeing eight, nine, 10 guys out there on the court?
1: Well, I think, and I, I know you can look at plus minuses, things like that, but it, it just feels like when, when coach Davis goes to the bench, the other teams go on pretty good runs mm-hmm. and, You you know, you don't want to let the game get too far away. Now, when I was, I'm so old, we had several games for Coach Smith where they weren't even on TV. So there were no TV timeouts. Uh, I mean, those games went fast. So now with, with TV timeouts, with reviewing plays, with things like that, there's so much stoppage in play that you can kind of catch your breath. So playing... 36 minutes today, to me, is not as hard as it was 36 minutes five years ago, 10 years ago, if that makes sense. Um, but but again, Coach Davis, and I see it where he'll bring in somebody and they'll just make a really poor decision on a rotation, knowing they, they worked on it a thousand times and were like, I can't trust you. To, to stay in the game if you can't execute what we've worked on. So I'm sure he's frustrated that we've worked on all these things. And the minute I put you in the game, it doesn't work. So we don't want to give up a 6 0, 8 0, 12 0 run. I got to hustle the guys back. The only, the only, and I, I don't, I don't criticize the coaches because I don't see it. The only thing about the subbing stuff I would have liked to see is not have, You know three and four subs on the floor at the same time i would rather see staggering at where okay impossible with the starters a lot so he's he's fine but um don trez or or you know demarco or Nichols. let them be on the floor with three other starters and i think they would look a little more comfortable uh, a little bit uh, Play a little bit better than when there's four subs on the court and we're not, we're struggling. So, but again, yeah, that's the coaches. The coaches see it more in practice. They know more than what I do.
0: If we go back to Sunday, Carolina was down at one point 57 239, and they put together one of those patented Carolina runs. They got all the way within three, a chance to make it to, but they ultimately fall short. A big reason why they were able to get back into the game was Hubert Davis put out a three-guard lineup, and he, with that, he was able to full-court press, and then out of that have half-court traps. He said on yeah. Monday in his radio show that is here to stay. That you're going to see that on a more consistent basis. Something that in my lifetime as a Tar Heel fan, I, loved I, it. I, 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 I don't see that very often. So I'm excited. No, Williams
1: didn't do it either. I, I know. Uh, I, I, I mean, my travel teams, we ran the same, you know, scramble defenses that we ran at at Carolina. I loved it. The problem with scramble, any of that stuff nowadays, is it used to be you give up a a 15-footer for a two-point shot and you could live with that. We'll take that all day long. Mm -hmm. Now they end up with a wide-open three and you get punished. So the reason philosophically you don't see as much run and jump Is it gets punished so much more now than it used to? Uh, You you double somebody you know teams are good ball handlers they make two passes the guy's wide open for a three pointer so I think that's why you don't see as much scramble in today's game.
0: I, I I definitely agree with that. Um, but on Sunday, you could definitely see the benefit. The, you know, it, Carolina benefited from that. So when when Carolina is running their scramble defense with their full court press and trapping out of that, what is the benefit of that for Carolina? On the defensive end of the court because like you said you do leave yourself suspect to giving up wide open three-point shots but I thought on Sunday you saw them reap the rewards of that of that change in uh, philosophy so whenever you see a team throw out a trap or a press how, how are they benefiting that on the defensive end of the court
1: well, I love it because the other teams not prepared for it. uh so they're wanting to run you know whatever sets. If you're scrambling and pressing and trapping, they can't do that. Now it's just playing ball. It's just, everybody's reacting, and you're thinking,, oh, we got better athletes, better basketball players. So I do still believe in it at the right time. The one thing i I took from Coach Smith is, he rarely ever ran traps before the first half because he didn't want somebody to be able to break you down at halftime. So he would run traps in the second half. A team would have to burn a timeout to discuss it. We would surprise them on a free throw. We'd surprise them on an out-of-bounds and only run it like twice. So I still love it in the right situations because you make the other team have to discuss other options even if you don't ever do it, if they spent time in practice talking about it in pregame huddle, you just wasted some of their prep time for something else. So I'm a big believer in it. I love it. I think it gets players uh, wound up. I, I, you know, if I was being experimental, because I think Trimble's so good on defense and I you know get puff at the four, I'd think about running leaky at the five. And running like a trapping, pressing little group just to mix things up. If you had leaky at the five, Puff at the four, you know, and then the three-guard lineups and scrambling, trapping, trapping everything, to me, that'd be kind of a fun, fun experiment to see what it looked like.
0: And 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 all the old heads around Carolina basketball, they, they 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 would turn over in their graves not seeing a big man on the court. But you know, yeah. Hubert Davis had said that that's the way the game is transitioning. And you oh, know, sure. and you know, that's that, that at some point, you know, what we saw, I, I believe, in the last ten minutes at Virginia Tech, outside of the result, because I don't want to see many losses yeah. moving forward. I do yeah. think that was Carolina basketball in the image and the vision of Hubert Davis, and now the goal and the challenge is going to be to build upon that, and you mentioned Seth Trimble. He's the last guy I'll, I'm going to ask you about individually. Sure. The the reason why he's probably played the most off the bench is that he's yep. he, he's the most willing defender off the bench, and you Absolutely. could probably argue second most on the team, right there behind Leaky Black. It's, it's his agree. shortcomings on offense as to probably why he doesn't play as much. You've been around a lot of great Basketball players, and then you, you've you you've coached, and then you've been you've been around the game for quite a while. For a freshman at the ACC level of of, of Division One college basketball, where does Trimble rank in terms of the best individual defenders you've seen as a freshman in recent memories?
1: Well, he he reminds me of like King Rice for you older people because mm. he's kind of built like him. Um, our other really good defensive point guards were like Derek Phelps, who was long and skinny and everything. But, yeah, Ty Lawson was not a defensive guard at all. Um, the rest of them were more offensive point guards under Coach Williams. So I think he's unbelievably good. He's he's He plays hard. He's strong. The one problem, and I've seen the good coaches go at us like this, is our guards are pretty short. And if you notice – a lot of teams run actions to post R.J. up. And as much as you know, Seth is really good on the ball, he's also not very tall either. So that's something to look for is other teams, you know, they get a big guard in there. They post up our smaller guards and attack them like that.
0: All right Michael, I'm going to get you out on this question right here. We started by saying that it's that it it's, it's not time to panic. Even though Carolina is 5 and 4, it is only December and um, you know Eric Montrose has said many times on the Tar Heel Sports Network, we're playing for March, we're playing for April. So if it's not time to panic and there's still time for Carolina to turn this season around, how do they do just that?
1: Uh, so I think on the offensive end, uh, to me, basketball the, easy, the the simplest thing about basketball is move the ball, move move your man, move move yourself, and we've got to get better at that. We, the one game we had what four assists, another one five, another six. We've got to move the ball, but you can't just move it to stationary players. We've got to get better player movement, and we talked about that earlier: setting screens, cross screens, down screens, back screens we have got to move the players more and then the ball moves. And then if, you know, it's like the old golden state thing, the ball finds the open man well, if nobody's moving without the ball, there is no open man. So we've on offense, we've got to do a better job of, uh, moving players and moving the ball. And then I, you know, I think we'll be fine. We've got enough firepower to be fine on offense on defense i thought I've seen pretty good effort one-on-one. Uh, we just got to tie it in together better, make sure the rotations are right. And, and the key to defense is make them miss a shot. You got to get the rebound afterwards. And the problem is when you have a lot of, sh- th- you know, jump shooting, three-point shooting teams, they're very long rebounds. That's hard to rebound when the ball's going all over the place. Everybody has to block out. Everybody has to rebound. And sometimes... If you watch off the ball, our guards don't do a good job of, of coming back into the lane to rebound, things like that. So it's all fixable. That The reason you don't panic as a Carolina fan is everything we've discussed is fixable, and that's what you want to hear.
0: Well, Carolina will look to start fixing those things on Saturday <laughs> afternoon against Georgia Tech. Michael, this has been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of uh, I've had a lot of fun breaking down some X's and O's, talking some ball with you. Hopefully, we can do it uh, later on down the season, and hopefully, when we when I bring you back on, we'll be talking about Carolina winning a lot of games and and and, and why they've been able to do just that.
1: Absolutely, Josh. I'll oh, come on. Anytime I love talking about Carolina basketball or all Carolina sports. And I, I think I, I think next conversation we'll have a better conversation in terms of you know the last four games that we've watched.
0: All right, man. I appreciate your time and we'll talk soon, okay?
1: Thanks. Have a good one.
0: There you go, guys. That was Michael Norwood, as he likes to say, former Tar Heel player, but Tar Heel for life. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to get you this week's ad from DraftKings, and when I come back, I'll shut down this edition of the Four Corners podcast. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many games coming up. Like, if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets, the 76ers are in town. The Minnesota Timberwolves are in town. Or if you're a Knick fan like me, there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action – I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings. Go, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now place a same game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win total rebounds and more the more the more you add the bigger the boost the bigger your shot to win it's whether you're betting on just a straight up win or how many you know 3s Steph Curry is going to have or how many rebound rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have you can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now Use the promo code TBPN, place a $5 pregame moneyline bet on any on on any NBA team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys have been taking great advantage of the offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. And I really hope you guys had as much fun as I had uh, as as y'all were listening to me and Michael break down the X's and O's. Of, of, of Carolina basketball right now this season, and I do want to thank him again for his time. Well, with that, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show, but before we let you go, do encourage you guys to visit the website, heeltoughblog.com where it's been a crazy week on the football side of things with over 10 players in the portal. Carolina has lost its offensive coordinator its offensive line coach, but it did get a commitment from Drake May to return to the program next season. Anthony has had you covered with all that news and more. As for the basketball side of things, we'll be getting you ready for Carolina and Georgia Tech. There will be a preview and a recap posted on this site, so make sure you're getting over to com for all that great football and basketball coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. Um, Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up where we encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast. But most importantly, guys, we want you to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any game previews, any game recaps, or any interviews like this one right here with Michael Norwood. Hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss out any editions of the show during the basketball season. Well, with that, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Thanks again to Michael Norwood for joining me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.
1: Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.